Looks like you made it over here in good time. Nice to see you. And I'm the one to give you the official welcome to the 48th annual Oak Bible Reading Chapel service. 48 years. The songwriter said, We have gathered in the presence of the Lord where we know that we will never be the same. This is God's appointed hour when his resurrection power and his grace to one and all will be outpoured. We have gathered in the presence the mighty living presence of the Lord. Now, we're drawn into his presence tonight in this chapel service through the reading of God's word. And I don't know if you people have been to a service where only scripture was read, but it makes a lot of sense. You can tell from your printed program that um, this chapel service has a long-standing tradition at Nazarene Bible College. For nearly a half a century, I just wanted to say that. You know, 48 is awfully close to a half a century. We've been celebrating the Word of God through this event, and it makes sense because we're a Bible college. The most important thing that can happen for all of us in this evening's service is to have an encounter with the Word of God. Someone has said, a new impression of the Word is given by passing it through human lips which have been taught to voice it with clearness, dignity, and the beauty it deserves. I believe we will all get a new impression of the Word tonight. So I challenge you to listen with your mind and with your heart. As you listen to these readings in a few minutes, you will notice distinct differences. There are various genres of literature. Each has its own unique purpose. And we have a really nice balance on the program tonight. In Romans 6, when Randy reads, we're going to hear words of teaching and words of persuasion. In Psalm 139, we will experience intimate moments with God through the psalmist's prayer. In John chapter 20, we will enter into a dramatic narrative, and we're going to join with the characters in that scripture in a life-changing experience. And then in Matthew 13, we will discover the power of symbolism through Jesus' use of the parable. The final selection on the program is a scripture compilation accompanied by visual and instrumental elements. I think it'll be a different thing for all of us. Let me give you a quick word of instruction if you've never been in a chapel like this. uh, Because of the nature of this service, it's not appropriate to applaud between readings. So let's just keep that in mind. And... uh, I think you'll get more out of the experience in the Word if you just close your Bibles and simply listen while the passages are read. Join me now as we pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your inspired Word, for wonderful words of life given to us that we might know you better and serve you more faithfully. Honor the preparation that has been invested in this program, that your word 
may be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the power of the spoken word flow through the lips of every reader in this chapel hour so that we will have the unmistakable knowledge that we have been in the presence of God. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you take your bulletin and stand with me and join me in the responsive reading that is in your bulletin. I will read the light print and you please read the bold print. Lamp of our feet by which we trace our pathway when we stray. Bread of our souls on which we feed, true manna from on high. Pillar of fire through darkest night and guiding cloud by day. Word of the everlasting God, will of his glorious Son. Yet to unfold its hidden worth, its mysteries to reveal. Lord, grant that we may truly learn the wisdom it imparts. Please be seated. A very common debate in contemporary theology is whether or not a Christian can truly have freedom from sin. Reformers would contend that the Christian is sinning constantly in word, thought, and deed. In Romans chapter 6, however, Paul affirms that Christians should have freedom from the clutches of sin with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. He implores believers to make righteousness the master of their lives. This chapter is overwhelmingly about the freedom we can have from sin. We are to be so free of sin, we are to be slaves to righteousness. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized in Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death has no mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, 
he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not, any off, do not offer any part of yourself as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer, and, and offer every part of yourself in him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are no, under the law, no longer under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to something as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalms 139 is a beloved song by many um, believers. They have come there many times uh, to this psalm to, to have comfort. Scholars point out uh, theological truths in this psalm, um, the omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God, and the omniponence of God. I have made this psalm my prayer and I found great comfort in it. Search me, O God, and, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and acquaint it with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hand me in and behind and before Lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? 
Or where should I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Shalol, you are there. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, you're woven in the depths of earth. Your eyes saw my unformed sustenance. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. I speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. But search me and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It is resurrection morning. I invite you to look inside this passage with me. We will see Mary Magdalene, who has come to the tomb of Christ to anoint his body with spices to complete the burial process. When she discovers that the tomb is empty, she runs to Peter and John. As the scene unfolds, she hears a familiar voice calling her name. Her heart and her soul respond. Her encounter with the risen Christ teaches us to announce to our world that we have seen the Lord. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going to the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been upon the face of Jesus, folded up and set aside. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For they had not yet understood the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples 
went to their own homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And there she saw two angels seated, one at the head and one at the feet of where Jesus' body had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus. But she did not know that it was him. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will carry him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet to ascend to my father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. This is the parable commonly called the parable of the sower, and sometimes it's called the sower and the soils. It's found in all three synoptic gospels. Jesus is the sower. The seed is the word of the kingdom. And the soils are the hearts of various kinds of listeners. There are two parts to any communication, what is said and what is heard. God speaks, and we have the awesome responsibility to listen. Lloyd Ogilvie calls this the hearing heart. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. When he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. 
listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. And when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. In his final instructions on earth, Jesus commands his disciples to go. It's a passage we're all familiar with. This video montage we're about to see explores the meaning of the Great Commission and challenges us as Christians to answer the call in Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said to us, who will go for us? And we said, here am I, send me. All right, so let's say it again. Who will go for us? We said, here am I, send me. Stand and receive the benediction. Let's pray. It is your nature, God, to speak, to reveal yourself to help us understand you, to see you, to glimpse you, to sense your presence. It's your nature to speak, to reveal yourself to us. And we give you praise. 
And now we ask that through your revelation and the work of your word in our hearts, that you'll be made known to the person on either side of us, to the persons we live with, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, and to people who do not know you yet. May they hear you through us as you speak to us. And we give you praise for that gift and that promise and that grace. We're here. Send us. Amen. Go in his peace.